0: You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. We come alive as we
1: He's the true bread from heaven. He's the one now that makes intercession for us all the time. And then you go beyond this second curtain. This second curtain, it was at least four inches thick. There's some scholars that believe it was actually 10 inches thick. This is the curtain that when Jesus died on the cross was torn from top to bottom, from top to bottom, signifying now this is the way and Christ leads the way and he takes us into this most holy place.
0: Pastor Danny takes us on a tour of the temple today, from the outer courts to the innermost place, the Holy of Holies, and as he does, he'll show us how Jesus is the fulfillment of every element contained within the temple. Ultimately, it's the death of Jesus that allowed us into the most holy place. When Jesus died, the temple curtain ripped from top to bottom, revealing the holy place where the presence of God rested. Because of Jesus' death, we're invited into intimate relationship with God. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 with today's edition of The Living Word.
1: Verse 1, Hebrews chapter 9, now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, cherubim angelic beings, overshadowing the atonement cover. But We cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself, and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. Now you've got to put your mind on today. We've got a lot of verses to read and it's a lot to think about. Verse 9. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. And we talked a bit about the external things last weekend. Verse 11, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect Tabernacle that is not man made. That is to say, not part of this creation. If you've been with us, you know the earthly tabernacle is but a copy, a type, shadow of a real tabernacle in heaven. Verse 12 He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, uh, that was one of the specific sacrifices they had to make, a red heifer, sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason... Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance now that he's died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The internal inheritance is amazing in itself. That could be a a whole week's worth of messages, (laughs) everlasting life, going to get a new body, going to live in a world where there's no death, mourning, crying, or pain. going to see God face to face. That blows me away. I'm going to see God face to face one day. Verse 16, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is enforced only when somebody has died. So you got an insurance on your life, insurance company, before they're going to write the check, they want to make sure you're dead. Hmm. Never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. And the blood speaks of death. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. I thank God we're not under that old covenant. Because I'm, you're talking bloody. There's blood everywhere. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary. There was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Wow. Now to appear for us in God's presence. Get this, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, let me get you Catholics' attention just for a minute. I'm trying to sing a lot to Catholics because there's some other groups of people that believe this too. Ludwig Ott, though, was a theologian for the Catholic Church, leading theologian. He, a few years ago, he wrote a book on Catholic doctrine, and I'll quote from his book. And here's what he says: The Holy Mass is true, a true and proper sacrifice. It is physical and propitiatory, removing sins and conferring the grace of repentance. What he means by that is every time a Catholic goes to Mass and every time they go and they receive the bread and the wine, they believe that it's actually Christ being sacrificed again. It actually literally becomes his body and literally becomes his blood. I'm not trying to offend Catholics. I just want you to know the truth. And listen, if you are Catholic, you ought to check out the doctrine of your church and find out if it matches up with Scripture. Because you don't want to be wrong. You don't want to think just by going and taking the bread and drinking the, the wine or the juice, you know, that that's actually what's saving you, doing that. No, 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 no. What we're learning from the book of Hebrews is nothing external will do you any good. We talked about that last week. All these things, types, shadows, the realities are found in Christ. There's a real heavenly tabernacle. And Christ has accomplished things in a heavenly tabernacle, not an earthly tabernacle, because the earthly one is just, verse 9, an illustration. Illustration. The word... It's an interesting word. It's the word P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E. I bet you'll never guess what English word we get from that word. Parable. What's a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This is a parable. Everything about this tabernacle, everything about the old covenant, it's a parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, Isaiah chapter 11. You might want to write down these scriptures. You're welcome to turn to it if you'd like, but let me read you Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The branch is referred to many times in the Old Testament, and it refers to the Messiah. So a root from Jesse, we know through the lineage of David, Messiah would come, the branch. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord, literally the spirit of Yahweh, will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Those are seven characteristics of the spirit of God that will rest on the branch, the Messiah, okay? Those seven characteristics, that's why you read... Uh, some places it talks about the seven spirits of God. What it means is the sevenfold characteristic of one spirit, the spirit of God, and it'll rest on Messiah. That's why you have seven branches on this menorah, on this candle stand. And then you have on the other side, just opposite, and this light is really going directly over toward this table, and this table is where the consecrated bread is. It's otherwise known as the bread of the presence. There's six loaves on one side of the table, six loaves opposite on the other side of the table, and each loaf represents one of the tribes of Israel. Then next, you come to this altar, and here it says this altar was in the holy place, the most holy place, and there's discrepancy about that, uh, but the Old Covenant seems to say it was right here, but it was very close to that curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place. It's the altar of incense. The altar of incense. Now, Let's stop there and think about those three. You got the light, you got the bread, and you got the incense. Let me read some scriptures for you. I just read Isaiah chapter 11. Now, let me read you from John's Gospel chapter 1. And you got to put your thinking cap on here now. Stay alert. Stay alert. You don't want to miss this. John chapter 1, verse 3. Through him, talking about Jesus the Christ, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the Light of men. The light shines in the darkness, NIV says, but the darkness has not understood it. It's really not a good translation because as I studied that years ago, it really means the darkness has not overcome it. The idea is no matter what happens with the darkness and how deep the darkness, the light's going to keep on shining. That's the idea. Light shines in the darkness, all right? John chapter 8, verse 12, listen to this. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus said, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. Lots of scriptures Great one in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll start back in verse 2. We've renounced secret, shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Colossians talks about how he has rescued us from the dominion or the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. Light. Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, that's for daily decisions, and a light unto my path, that's for long term living. Put your thinking cap on, you gotta think about these things. I'm gonna give you one more. Jesus said in John's gospel, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Uh, priests would come in here once a week on the Sabbath day, and they'd bring fresh bread. So you get bread for a week, and then you get fresh bread for the next week, and fresh bread for the next week. Then you come to the altar of incense, the altar of incense. Chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 25, we saw that Jesus, our great high priest, is ever living to make intercession for us. He's always interceding for us. Let me read you from Revelation chapter 8 fascinating. You read the book of Revelation, and you'll come to places where John, he sees heaven. He has this vision. He sees heaven. He sees the true tabernacle. He sees the Ark of the Covenant, the real one, in heaven. He sees this glassy sea that's the laver that we saw, and he sees all this stuff. And Revelation chapter 8, he's looked, looks and he sees an angel, verse three, who had a golden censer and he came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The the incense especially speaks of prayer. Jesus, our high priest, he's our light. He's the true bread from heaven. He's the one now that makes intercession for us all the time. And then you go beyond this second curtain. This second curtain, it was at least four inches thick. There's some scholars that believe it was actually 10 inches thick. This is the curtain that when Jesus died on the cross was torn from top to bottom, from top to bottom, signifying now this is the way and Christ leads the way and he takes us into this most holy place. Scholars also believe, I am not a scholar, but I believe with them that the different sections here represent divisions of the heavenlies. I'll give you a scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Paul said, I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body, but he talks about an experience he had 14 years prior to writing this, and he says, I was caught up to the third heaven. That's where God dwells. That's the most holy place. That's what this typifies. That's what this speaks of. And in this most holy place, it's the most important piece of furniture in the tabernacle. It's the Ark of the Covenant. The cover for the Ark was made of pure gold. Imagine trying to lift that thing. It had on each end of it, on the top, these angelic creatures, and their wings are upward, and they're facing one another. Psalm 80 verse 1, Psalm 99 verse 1 says that God dwells between the cherubim. He sits. That's his, that's his throne. That's his throne. That's what this represents. This is the most holy place where God dwells. In this ark, you have the golden jar of manna. Jesus, again, the bread from heaven. You follow him in the ark. There's the golden jar of manna, and uh, there's Aaron's staff that budded, and there's the stone tablets, and that's the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm not going to get bogged down because I got bogged down on those things last night. I want to say one quick word, though, especially about Aaron's staff that budded. That's important. Numbers chapter 16 and 17 tells the story. In Numbers chapter 16, some men named Korah, Dathan, and Abiram led 250 council members under Moses, board members, to rebel. And what they were after in their rebellion was the priesthood, and you can read about it, and we'll probably go to it in just a minute. And Moses says, hey, you're Levites, and God's given you your responsibility in his service of worship, but you're trying to get what the law didn't prescribe for you. You're trying to get what's rightfully Aaron's and his sons. Well, they don't listen. God says, okay, we'll deal with this thing tell them to come out and meet and bring their censers, their sensors that they want to use to go where Aaron's supposed to go and Aaron's sons are supposed to go, but they're not supposed to go. So they bring their censers, and God takes care of the problem. And then after taking care of the problem, he takes all those guys' lives. Then, chapter 17 of Numbers, he says, Now, take the staffs of the leaders of Israel and take Aaron's staff, and I'm going to settle this thing once and for all so that we don't have this kind of rebellion again. Lay those staffs before the testimony, and you leave them there overnight. And they come back the next day, and they get all the staffs. Everybody else's staff was just the same. It's just a dead piece of wood. But Aaron's staff had budded and blossomed and produced almonds. And God made clear through that. Aaron's the guy, he's the high priest, and only he and his descendants are to serve me in this worship tabernacle. There's a really important point to that, and I hope you got your thinking caps on and we'll bring it all together in just a little bit. Only Aaron. By the way, the sign of the budding and the blossoming and producing almonds, what is that? That's life from death. That's what it is. That's life from a dead stick. Life from death. That's the sign. Aaron's the man and his descendants. Because all this stuff is a parable to teach us. Now, I got bogged down in all this stuff last night, and I went home really depressed. I really did. Nobody's ever coming back to Saturday night service. I'm certain of it. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed. Nothing within the regulations of the Old Testament system opened the way for man to enter the most holy place, the place where God dwells. Now, if you've been with us in our study, you know that, but I'll say it again. Second from our text, Jesus Christ is the sole mediator of a new covenant by which man can be completely forgiven, have his conscience completely cleared regarding his sin, regarding his guilt. And not only that, you can actually enter the most holy place. You can fellowship with God. And the icing on the cake, <laughs> the icing on the cake, Listen, you get the eternal promised inheritance. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Everything he has, you get. Going to get a new body one day that will never die, that will never get old, never have pain. Going to live in a world, there's no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. I mean, just amazing. Christ's sacrifice was offered once for all, and therefore will never be repeated, nor any other sacrifice added to it. So I hope you get what's happening here. Jesus offered himself. This is the parable. Jesus offered himself. Because he offered himself, we follow him. And because of his sacrifice for us, we're cleansed. Because we're cleansed, we enter in with Jesus. He's our light. The word of God. They go together. The light and the word because the word tells us the truth. Are you with me? It's good stuff. He goes, he's our 24-hour a day, ever living to make intercession for us. And because of his perfect sacrifice and our complete cleansing, we now have access, access. The curtain is torn, top to bottom. We have access into the very holy of holies. That's why one day I'll actually see God on his throne. Wow, cool stuff. I started studying for this stuff on Wednesday because I took a day off on Friday, and my wife and I went to Orlando to have a little fun and also visit our son who's in college over there. And so I studied Wednesday hard. And I just was so bogged down and didn't really get anything together from all the stuff I'm talking about now. And so my study Wednesday focused on the last two verses of chapter 9. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And I spent the whole day Wednesday studying for and preparing for the second coming and how close we are to the second coming. Got up Thursday morning, had my devotional time before I came to the office, uh, was going to come to the office. I looked at my notes one more time, and I started to, you know, was getting ready to mark them up because we were leaving Thursday afternoon and be gone Friday. Anyway, long story made short, got up Thursday afternoon after my devotional time, and uh, before coming to the office, intending to come to the office, I looked at my notes, and the Spirit of God just seemed to say, that's not what you need to teach this week. Don't talk about the second coming. You need to teach the text. Just teach the text. What a bummer, man. <laughs> what am I going to do now? So I communicate with the office. I said, guys, I'm, I'm not coming to staff meeting, not coming to the office. I, I, I got to get into this thing. I need some hours here. And up till we left Thursday afternoon to go to Orlando, here's where God took me. Both to the text, and I've given you the summary of it, all right? But then he took me back. The verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. Regulations for worship. And everything I just summarized, that's the parable, that's the message. But here's the deal with the message. That word regulations, I went to Blue Letter Bible and you know, went and saw the Greek word. And the Greek word, you know what it literally means? Regulations for worship? Here's what it means. Established judicial decisions. I don't get it. Established judicial decisions. God made the established judicial decisions to how He is to be worshiped, how He is to be approached. And here's the bottom line it is non negotiable.
0: You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're so glad that you took the time today to learn more from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews references many Old Testament practices, and it's likely that this book was written to a group of Jewish Christian people. The writer talks about the priestly order, and then connects how Jesus has become the great high priest for all. It's such a neat way that God ties the Old Testament in with the New. For those who are aware of the Jewish practices, it makes more and more sense as to why and how Jesus fulfilled these Old Testament things. Are you seeing those connections that the writer of Hebrews has made? If you enjoyed hearing from Pastor Danny today and would like to listen to other teachings, feel free to visit our sermon archive at ccfstpete.church. That website again is ccfstpete.church. If you don't yet have a church to call home, we would love to have you join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Feel free to come just as you are. Well, that's all that we have for today. But thanks for tuning in with Pastor Danny to hear more great things from the book of Hebrews. And we trust that you'll continue to learn from the living word.